0: Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for your joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have affected us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I think we may have jumped the gun a little bit on our blessing of the books. And I don't think this is an uncommon occurrence. We were excited, maybe a little bit anxious, so we charged ahead and we asked for it all. We sang together the brilliant song that Katie and the team led, asking full-throatedly, establish the work of our hands. And this was, um, as our notes in our Bibles tell us, Moses' song too. The message paraphrases this last line, affirm the work that we do. And we want that affirmation. We, we need that affirmation. We need to get things done. We need to start checking things off our list for our sake and for the sake of this world that has so many needs, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our neighbors. And like a kind parent, God is all too happy to give us assurance of God's pleasure and delight in us in what we do, even if it's limited, even if it's imperfect. But the psalmist, if you read more than just the bookends that we read, tells a little bit of a fuller story. I think it helps to trace Mo- Moses' song a little more closely as we set our hopes for this coming season. So Eva didn't read all of it. She kind of read the bookends. But we'll, we'll get into the meat of it also. So it, it started out Psalm 90. And it might be a little different in each of your translations, but it's all about the same. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. This is a good place to be. This is home for the psalmist, for us. Years ago, uh, one of my professors, and this is in seminary, um, uh, told us to write on the first page of our new shiny notebooks or composition books, or ongoing Word documents, whatever it was, like uh, something, some bit of of advice he was going to give us, and it was kind of a variant on the KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and he said, right on the top of your first page of your notes for your seminary class, it's about God, stupid, as a reminder. And so I think this psalm kind of does this, too. Uh, Right off the bat, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our home. This is where Moses is. Moses is in memory mode. And with God, this memory for Moses goes way back to the beginning. Like to the beginning. To the genesis of all things. It should comfort us in this coming season. Whatever that season's going to hold. Some of you are stoked on this coming season. Some of you, I can tell, are so tired already. But it should comfort us at the beginning of this coming season that whatever it will hold, before any of this, there was God. Do we even consider that? That before any of this was good, before any of this was broken, there was God. Loving in God's very self. God lacking Nothing, God, the the fount of love and joy in creation, the creation story, is God's love and joy overflowing into this place, into things, into creatures, into creation. So this story reminds us that God must be our home, must be our starting place, because God is the starting place. And that starting place is fundamentally love like relational, three, personal love, and that love goes all the way down, like turtles all the way down, right? But this love, this great love, can be pretty intimidating for us. It's, it's the sort of love and the sort of light that is so different than how we mostly feel. We, we kind of feel small or we feel petty, and so this light reveals and it also exposes us. Uh, remembering God in all God's vastness and all God's transcendence is bound to be a sort of Grand Canyon experience. And if you ever see someone at the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's a mixture of people crying for beauty's sake and crying out of terror because it's just so big and so different. And the photos don't do it justice. It makes us feel small. And this is why Moses' song turns kind of somber. This is the part that we don't read out loud or we don't get kids to read, right? Because compared to the source, compared to the source of life, if we are ever cut off from that source of life, we're like like grass that got chewed up by a lawnmower and spit out and, and then it like turns progressively to like hay and then to dust on the sidewalk. That's the image we're given here. Not not super flattering for for where we are in this picture. There's something oddly comforting that this is a thing, like that this is a thing that Moses felt and thought strongly enough to put in print, right? That that, that Moses thought this even to be true about himself. The answer is not to ignore this feeling, it's not to self-talk out of it, it's not to resist it, but it's like to embrace and to lean into our own limits to lean into our transience and our weakness and our mortality and our smallness and to let God protect you. Uh, that's, that's another theme in this song that God will protect us. Contrary to what we often think, the distance between us and God, which is vast, we are like fundamentally different than God and it can feel like an insurmountable gulf that's the very space that's the very possibility for god to draw near to us maybe you need to know that for this coming season all that space that feels like you're not measuring up that's actually space that god is going to make up the difference and come near to you that's that distance includes our sin that distance includes our proclivities to participate in everything that's not god which often includes sin and death but this distance is also the soil for intimacy with god it's the soil where growth happens the psalm then moves and says teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom I think this means that our ability to quit pretending like we have to know everything, or that we're in control of our lives, is the actual beginning of knowing anything. Teach us to number our days, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing that we have a set endpoint, that we're not God. We can then begin trusting in and being taken care of by God. Jesus kind of riffs off of this theme. This is in. The, the kind of a smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. You remember, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Uh, not life, uh, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, Let, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can any of you worry, by worrying at a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Go to Duke Gardens, you'll see the same phenomenon, Right? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, even the grass that withers up and dies and turns to soil, if God will clothe the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry, saying, what what are we going to eat or drink or wear? That's what the Gentiles who don't know God, they strive for all these things. Indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. It's, it's by rejoining the community of creation. Jesus talks about lilies and birds and grass and all these things that God takes care of. It's by Rejoining even the particularly small and insignificant parts that we think run themselves, that we regain our place in this world as ones provided for by the God who provides and gives good gifts. Our limits, again, are the very possibility for God's grace to be displayed. Our limits, the the things that we try to hide, that we try to overcome, that we try to pretend like we don't have and like like, Instagram our way out of sometimes, right? Like, our limits are the possibilities for God to intercede and come into our lives and give us grace. The Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, my grace, and he's speaking of, of what Jesus says, my grace is, significant, is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's completed in your weakness. And Paul says, I won't boast Anymore. I'll boast more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest upon me. So that's a little different than, than, than where we were when we started with this being a, a really nice bumper sticker psalm, right? It's a little more complicated. It's a little deeper than that. The psalm then takes a decidedly forward turn. It was kind of in memory mode, remember, looking back looking at who God is, kind of establishing ourselves or reestablishing, reorienting ourselves in who God is. And now it takes a forward turn from memory in the past to anticipation in the future. The psalmist says, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. I think this is why uh, Isaac Watts, his famous hymnist, uh, we read his version of this psalm as a hymn. We sang it last week. It's called, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, Our Hope for Years to Come. You see how those are tied together? Our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Because help in the past and hope for the future are always tied together in the life of God. The tie is God's covenant to be with us. The tie is God's presence among us. God answers our prayers in compassion. Do you you see what that that word compassion means? It's kind of got two parts. The co-part or the com-part, which means with, God being with us. And the passion part, which means suffering. That even in our suffering, God chooses to be with us. It's it's a co-suffering that God will enter into and bear with us. This means that when you cry out, God hears you and God is with you. When you cry out to God, God hears you, and God is with you. This unsatisfied cry for the psalmist, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we might sing for joy and be glad all our days. Linked to this compassion, this very co-suffering of God, these are songs of joy and satisfaction, and they aren't just like willfully ignorant of what is going on or pretending that everything is just fine. Rather, they're tethered to God's character and commitment, which has been our help and will be our hope. That's how this works. That's like the logic of these songs. And then the next line. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. That line stuck out to me. This is a a psalm of Moses, which means, if we remember the Moses story, Moses was... Israel's great liberator. He brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. Remember Pharaoh's army got drowned behind them, right? And led them out. And so Israel's great liberator is singing this song about making us glad for as many days as we've seen sorrow. This seems really apt this week as we recognize like the 400th year since the first slaves landed in the Virginian colony in 1619. 400 years, like a little context for that. To put that in perspective, it's only been 156 years since the Emancipation Proclamation. It's only been 55 years since the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So this is still a chorus. Like equal our number of days that we don't have suffering to what we've had in suffering. Like like, make as long as you've saved us out of that Equal to or greater than the time uh, when we suffered. This is this is a hope for a tipping point. This is still pretty far off. For all the progress we've made, that like this is still pretty far off. If you looked in the newspaper today, you saw like 13 miles from here yesterday there were Ku Klux Klan members in Hillsboro, right? And like their their hope on a sign and and out of their mouths was was to look back to set this clock backwards, not hoping for a future. Like It was like a reverse uh, idea of what the psalmist is hoping for, help in the past and hope for the future, right? And so uh, it's events like that when you see in the newspaper, it, it reminds me of uh, what William Faulkner wrote, that the past is never really dead. It's not even really the past. Like This is still happening. Israel's History and Moses's cries are still relevant to what we're seeing and experiencing today. So it's not only now that it's only now finally that we get to the prayer that we started with, the one that we we rushed towards. If we didn't have to account for all these things, God's creative presence, our comparative smallness, and penchant for wandering, and the great possibility um, that this all adds up to do uh, for, uh, for God to work. Like, if we, if we didn't account for all that, uh, we would finally be here. And the line is, may the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The psalmist repeats it twice to make sure we heard it. It, it, it. it pours out because he wants it so bad to pray this basically that God would bless and be in our work. To do that without the previous accounting, accounting both for how great God is and how small and weak and threatened we are in comparison is, is or could be dangerous, I think. We just rush to say, God, prop up our work without accounting for this. It could be dangerous. But if you do that work, if you encounter God with humility, like the humility of a numbered day people who've sought God's help, who've remembered and encountered God's compassion, this phrase, establish the work of our hands, it could be really beautiful. It could be really powerful. It's subtle, but there's a drastic difference there on how we're we're viewing ourselves in relation to God. Oftentimes, our work in our world bears marks of both of these approaches, the danger and the beauty in the same space. I think that space is a, is a space of lament where we're, we're building stuff that is, that is both beautiful and damaging at the same time. We're asking God to, to help us discern that and to figure that out. We're trying to, to do more good than harm, but we're inevitably harming things. Uh, I, it's a, it can be a little confusing to try to talk about it, but oftentimes art, artists help uh, us have eyes to see these things. So I stumbled across the work of this photographer named Edward uh, Bertinsky, and he captures this kind of sorrowful mix of what the work of our hands can be and do. And so he started this project called Oil, and and he's got a book and he's got a a traveling display. He says uh, about it, when I first started photographing industry, these are all aerial industrial photos. He says, it was out of a sense of awe, a sense of what? we as a species were up to. Our achievements became a source of infinite possibilities. Maybe you're feeling this. This fall is infinitely possible of what could happen, right? You're really excited. And he says, but as time goes on and that flush of wonder began to turn, the car that I drove cross country in to take all these pictures began to represent not only freedom, but also something more conflicted. I began to think, about oil itself, as both the source of energy that makes everything possible and a source of dread, for its ongoing endangerment to the habitat. So he takes these pictures, and Steve's going to show us some, and they're really beautiful, and they're also like kind of sad because because they're industrial habitats. So we can, you're allowed, I think, to think both of these things at once. To think, oh, how beautiful those the symmetry of those oil fields are, and oh, how awful it is, at, at what they're doing to our environment. But we need them. <laughs> These pipelines, this habitat, and he's traveling all over the country, this is extracting uh, from a mountainside. These are beautiful pictures, unbelievable pictures, less beautiful pictures. <laughs> makes us pause when we, when we pray things like establish the work of our hands because we see some of the things that our hands do. Even as we need those things to, to connect with each other, to be nourished in some way. It's a graveyard in the Arizona desert where there's no humidity. suburbia. And it's, it's beautiful. It's a Volkswagen uh, plant. So it gives us eyes to see and, and primes our imaginations for, for how mixed this bag is. What we're asking for when we ask God to establish the work of our hands. I think for us going in the season to pray this prayer well establish the work of our hands we first need to be taught we first need to be taught to remember god we first need to be taught to number our days teach us O oh lord to number our days taught to embrace our limits taught to reach out to cry out to Grow in reliance on a God who provides instead of making our own way. It is to pray to be instead to be included in God's work. To hope not for our version of success, which if it comes from us is probably bound to wither or turn to dust. But if it comes to God, might be real and lasting and significant. It's to pray that the small things we do with great love and faithfulness might be an outpouring of and a participation in God's redemptive work in this world. The big things that God is doing, he's doing through the small things that we're doing. It's to pray to be instruments and conduits of peace in this violent world. It is to pray that we might join with Jesus, whose work on the cross and whose victory over death has actually established us as God's own. That Jesus has remembered us, made us back into members of God's family. To pray this is to pray that somehow in and through our work in the world, others might not see a distortion or a misuse or more sin and death. But that by grace, through faith, the loveliness of our Lord, our God, might actually rest in and on us. That's our hope for this coming season. Will you pray with me? Lord, teach us to number our days and establish the work of our hands. That work has to uh, be an outpouring of, of our knowledge of you, our trust in you, that you're going to take care of us, that you're going to be with us, that you hear us. Take away our fear, our anxiety, our striving, our posturing, our hoarding, all the things born out of scarcity and... and um, putting more weight on on, uh, how we can imagine this world than how you've already imagined it in Jesus. Lord, fill us with your spirit. We might join with you and join with each other in this important work, this small, slow, and steady uh, work that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.